There's a story that's been going around for about 1,500 years about a 5th century monk in Egypt who was known to be a holy man, a man of God, a man who truly lived a righteous life. And he spent a lot of the time in the monasteries, one of the monasteries in the desert. Satan has sent some of his demons on an assignment to tempt, trip, entice, do whatever it takes to make this man of God fall. But no matter what they try, how they tried and how much they tried, they failed again and again. This angered Satan at the incompetence of his minions. So he himself became in charge of this particular project. He became in charge of dealing with this particular man. And he began by lecturing his fallen angels, his demons, for failing in their assignment. And he said to them, he said, the reason you have failed is that your method is too crude for such a man. Now, watch the master at work. Watch the master in action. And then he approached the holy man of God, and he whispered in his ear very softly, and he said, your brother has been made the bishop of Alexandria. Instantly, the holy man's face showed every sign that Satan had succeeded. His eyes tightened. And then Satan turned to his demons and said, You see, envy and spiritual pride is often the best weapon against those who seek to honor God. Now, of course, it's a fable. Nobody has those facts at hand. But as I said, it's been circulating for about 1,500 years. Because if anyone who thinks that because he or she are attempting to walk with God, that Satan is going to leave them alone, they are in for a big shock. If anyone who thinks that Satan specializes only in the big moral sins, or in the big apostasy, or in the big heresies, you're in for a surprise. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2.11, For we are not ignorant of his devices. What the Apostle Paul is saying, that he had sufficient experience with the adversary of our souls. That he is able to detect his footsteps. Can you? Can I? Paul understood Satan's philosophy. He understood his operation. He understood his characteristics. He understood his purpose. He understood his method of operation. The very reason why the mainline church and so many of the godly schools that founded by godly people have been stolen from their godly founders and from their godly principles and from their original biblical stand is because these dear folks who loved God with all their heart were not alert of Satan's craftiness. Because they were too trusting, they were too accommodating, they were too nice, and you cannot be nice with the devil. They did not understand that if Satan can appear as an angel of light, therefore his emissaries can appear as angels of light too. His emissaries can appear as ordained ministers in the pulpits. They can appear as elders in the church. They can appear as headmasters of school and as professors in colleges and as presidents of colleges. 
And that is why Paul tells us here in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Don't forget it. From the past several messages, we've seen how Lucifer, that's the name from which we get the word light, Lucifite, how he was light. He was bright, shining star. So he is still able to appear to the naive. He's still able to appear to those who are unsuspecting as his former self. But to those who are alert and discerning, his distortion of the truth is clear. And I want to testify publicly and open my heart and tell you that I've been walking with the Lord since 1964. And if you've heard my testimony, you know that with the exception of 18 months where I wandered off, I have been walking with the Lord since 1964. And I believe that one of the gifts of the Spirit that He has given me is a gift of discernment. And yet, again and again, some of His emissaries sneak out on me unaware. And the reason Satan has to appear as an angel of light is because his program is to imitate God. He wants people to think of him as God. His first attempt was to topple God from his throne, to sit on God's throne, to become the God of this world, to become the God of the universe. But he failed and failed miserably, and God threw him out of the heavens. But he continues to try to convince his followers, the third of the angelic beings who followed him, Adam and Eve and all the creatures and all the creation after that, trying to convince them that he is God. That he's not a failure at all. In fact, the Bible calls him the God of this world. And there are billions of people throughout the world today, knowing it or not, they are following him. They're following his program every single day. And I want to tell you that every one of us who have submitted our life to the Lord Jesus Christ have at some point in our lives walked with Satan, submitted to Satan. You say, wait a minute, this is too strong, preacher. Well, listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 2, the great Jewish scholar, the man who knew the law. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 2, he said, We were once, all of us, before Christ, followers of the prince of the air, that same rascal who enslaved the sons of disobedience. So because of the grace of God, we have no cause to boast. Every gift that God gives us, Satan has a counterfeit gift. Every blessing that God pour upon us, Satan perverts and distorts. Every miracle that can be performed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan can perform miracles too and imitates it. And that is why I believe with all my heart in these days of the church, in this particular period of time, we need in the churches of Jesus Christ and among the bodies of believers the spirit of discernment. It is of uttermost importance. Give you an example of how Satan imitates. He's an imitator. Moses was sent by God to save the people of Israel, so he sent him to Egypt's Pharaoh. And in Exodus chapter 7, God equipped Moses with ability to perform miracles. You throw the rod on the ground and it turns into a serpent. Pharaoh said, No problem. Get our demonic wizardries in Egypt and they will do exactly the same thing. Now, to be sure, God's power was supreme, but he's an imitator nonetheless. 
Paul the apostle has been appointed to preach to the Gentiles, those who are without God, those who have no Jewish background or understanding of the one true God, uniquely gifted him, uniquely qualified him to do so. He goes in to preach to the governor of Paphos in Acts chapter 13. And he goes in there and he preaches the gospel. And there was a false prophet, there was a false apostle in that town by the name of Bar-Jesus. Couldn't you get any more exciting name than that? It's so authentic. His name is Bar-Jesus. And he was contradicting the apostle Paul. He was preaching a false gospel. But he appeared like an apostle. Verse 10 of Acts 13, Paul called him every name in the book. He told him to buzz off. That's a rough translation, but it's there. (laughs) You might try to be nice to a false apostle when you know it's a false apostle. But Paul was not, because he understood that deception. Paul actually called that false apostle's son of the devil. And the Bible said in Acts chapter 13 verse 9 that Paul discerned that by the Spirit of God. We need that spirit of discernment. I'll give you a third example. In the book of Revelation, we are told that the false prophets who ministers to the beast is going to perform great miracles. And if you're running around after churches and preachers who because of the miracles be take heed because those miracles could be funny ones. And I know that so many people Get deceived by these miracle workers. The devil is performing miracles. And don't ever forget that the devil is a preacher. (laughs) He is diabolical in his preaching. But he is a preacher nonetheless. He preaches another gospel. He preaches another Jesus. He preaches another power. And all of his demons are active preachers. They were all... License and have credentials to preach. Please hear me right. This is very important in the middle of this series. Satan is willing to concede to you any doctrine that you insist on. He is willing to concede that to you. Except under no circumstances will he ever concede that there is salvation only through the blood shed of Christ on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He will never concede that. Why? Because it's the heart of the gospel. It is the heart of the truth. And he is a liar from the beginning. You know, I hear people sometimes, you know, when they see somebody is a whiner or a derelict or somebody who's a skid row, they will say, oh, look at this, you know, this is Satan's masterpiece. But I want to tell you now how Satan reacts towards such a person. He reacts with such a person with disgust. He reacts to such a person with nausea. Far more than any human being. Because Satan wants to wash his hands of such a person. Satan wants no one to believe that such a one belongs to him. He doesn't want that. But do you really want to know what is really Satan's masterpiece? Satan's masterpiece is someone in society who's upstanding. Someone who's respectable. Someone who's a community leader. Who feels that he or she does not need Jesus Christ. That's Satan's masterpiece. Satan's masterpiece is someone who commands people's admiration. Someone who's successful. Someone who believes that he or she can work their own salvation without God's help. Thank you very much. That's Satan's masterpiece. Satan's masterpiece 
is a media personality who stand up in the midst of the glimmer and the glamour and glitter and he says, all we need to do to be accepted by God is be kind to all kinds of perversion. I'm calling it that. They don't know it. And be kind to animals. There's nothing wrong with being kind to animals, but you're not going to be saved by being kind to animals. Satan's masterpiece is a bishop in the church who says, the Bible is an archaic book, and God will never judge anyone, anybody. Live any which way you can. You see, when Satan appears as an angel of light, it means that he wants his children to appear to be kind, to appear to be gentle, to appear to be accommodating, to appear to diversity, to be into pluralism, to be into political correctness, to be tolerant of everything except God and his son. That's an angel of light. Why do you think there's such a frantic desire to stamp Jesus out of public life? Appearing as an angel of light means that the world can never see or acknowledge the labor of love for those who love the Lord Jesus and the ministry of serving others that goes on to millions of people through God's children and those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he highlights all the charitable balls, all the charitable concerts and all the charitable tournaments. That's appearing as an angel of light. Appearing as an angel of light means that the sacrificial giving of God's people is never acknowledged and never appreciated by the world. Yet, the pittance, the crumbs that fall off the tables of the movie stars are described as the world's salvation. That's his appearing as an angel of light. Satan is now dominating the secular media. And the reason he's doing that in order to make his children... Believe that they can be like God without a relationship with God. That they can be perfect without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't ever fall in the temptation of thinking that Satan is in the getters, that Satan is in the gutters. Don't ever fall in that temptation. He assigned his worst demons to those cases. But Satan and his upper echelons are living with those beautiful people who are seeking to be perfect without Jesus. He is where those who think that they are gods are. What do you think the goal of evolution is? I mean, the goal of evolution is that by natural process, by controlling the environment and by heredity, perfect human being can be made and can be produced. (laughs) You know, I lived a few years in, in the world of sociology, probably too many years than I wanted to, but I hope God used me in some little way. And in the world of sociology and all of the study of social science, there's a big theory, a big buzzword is called modernity. Modernity said that humanity is evolving toward perfection by its own efforts. And I say, apart from the intervention and the divine grace of God, you are dreaming. And that is why you see the sociologists and you see the experts and you see all these people come on the television and they are baffled by what is happening with violence. They are baffled by what is happening with crime. They are baffled by what is happening in our society and all that is persistent, the misery that is persisting today. And they're baffled by it and they try to come up with all kinds of solutions except the only solution. And that is change lives through the power of Jesus Christ. 
They say what we need is more money for education. What we need is more policemen for the streets. What we need is more laws. What we need is more government. What we need is more education. And the only thing that we really need is to put God back into public life. You see, evolution is Satan's theory to convince people that they can be like God without knowledge of God or even a relationship with God. Satan is at work, hard at work, appearing as Mr. Nice Guy, as an angel of light, as understanding, as compassionate. Satan is hard at work making a lie to look like the truth. Satan is hard at work to convince people that his imitation of the truth is the real truth. And you know, when Satan appeared to Eve, as we saw in the last message, he did not appeal to her instinct of power. He did not appeal to her instinct of pleasure. You know what he did? He did something very simple. This fake angel of light tried to convince her that she is doing good by disobeying God. It's that simple. And I want to tell you that same fake angel of light is trying to convince every one of us at every single moment of every single day that you are doing good in disobeying God. And he can do so subtly. He's subtle. He's conniving. And if you're not a discerning Christian, you'll be sitting in disobedience trying to rationalize it yourself. You're victimized by your circumstances. You're victimized by your family background. You're victimized by the wrong schools you went to. And you sit there and you justify your disobedience. And you justify your disobedience. And you justify your disobedience. Satan has succeeded. How does Satan appear to Christians as an angel of light? I want to give you some examples. He does that by fear. He does it by intimidation. And he does it by perversion of the truth. He takes a little bit of truth, as we saw in the last message, and he put an ocean of falsehood, and he makes it look palatable. I'll give you the first example. Take a businessman or a businesswoman who's a Christian and want to run their business according to biblical principles. The angel of light comes in and says, Oh, it's okay. It is good to run your business according to biblical principles. They've been good principles through the years. They've worked for other people. But don't forget, you're living in modern day. And if you don't do what your competition is doing, you're going to be out of business. And God doesn't want you to be out of business. He wants to bless you. Now I'll leave the rest to your imagination. You have a problem. You're wrestling with a problem in your life. And who doesn't have a problem? <laughs> you have problems? Welcome to the human race. We've got plenty of problems. Everybody's got problems. And you have a problem and you're wrestling with your problem. And you want to lean on the Lord and you want to lean on the everlasting arms and you want God to guide you and you want God to give you the strength and you want God to give you the power, the Spirit of God to lead you out of that problem. And the angel of light comes in and he says, "Uh, you're wrestling with that problem, aren't you? You need to calm your nerves. Just take a drink. You know, even Paul told Timothy that a small drink is good for his stomach. It's, It's a medicinal thing. It's the truth. You see, he takes the truth and he twists it. And then you take a drink and the next thing you find yourself crawled right inside a bottle. You're right inside that bottle instead of resting upon the everlasting arms. Instead of resting upon the promises of God. Instead of resting 
upon the Word of God. I'll give you another example. God has been blessing you. God has been great to you. And the Spirit of God is beginning to convince you, has been trying to talk to you, up trying to reach to you. Tithing belongs to God. That is God's money, totally, wholly belongs to God. Not to you. Take it out. Put it aside. Give it to the storehouse. And the angel of light comes in and brings you some truth. He'll say, uh, you know, God really doesn't need your money. It's true. God doesn't need our money. After all, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Don't ever forget, he knows the scripture. When he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he was quoting from the scripture. And he'll try to bring you the scripture out of context. And all. Furthermore, you must be prudent with your money. You need to have this particular house. You must have this particular car. You must have things for the kitchen. And we must have things for the dining room. And we must have things for the living room. And you're going to need things for... You know what? We are a nation made of things. We're all buying things. After all, you've got the future to think about. And then he continues. The angel of light says, well... You know, I don't think God expects that because he's going to be expecting too much. And I don't think you understand that very well. To fork 10% of your income and give it away to the Lord, that's really what it meant. And you know what he's doing? By keeping you unfaithful with the tithe and the offerings, he's keeping the blessing of God from coming upon you and upon your family and upon your life. I want to tell you something. I need to write a book, not preach a sermon, of how God can stretch a dollar when you're faithful with him. God has ways of blessing us that we can have not even fathomed. And we think we're too smart. We broke the chain when we became saved. We broke away from Satan. But you know what? He's dogging every single one of your footsteps to ensure that you miss out on the blessings that God wants to give you. I'll take a single person. He's prayed for God to give them a spouse, a Christian spouse, and God hasn't answered their prayers yet. The angel of light comes in and he says, God hasn't answered your prayer. Isn't that the truth? How do you know that God doesn't really want you to date an unbeliever so you can convert them to Christ? I met a lot of those who told me later on they wish they were single. You can just date. You don't have to talk about marriage. You know, wait. Dating is one thing and marrying is another. Just put it off. Or take a fifth example and my last example. It was I call the socially acceptable sins. There are socially acceptable sins that the Bible talks about. I want to describe the difference between the big moral sins and the socially acceptable sins. Moral sins and biblical heresies have immediate impact upon the individual and upon the body of Christ. Immediate impact. Why? Because they're clear cut. In many ways they are less dangerous because they are clear cut. Yet the socially acceptable sins have the greatest and the long range negative impact upon you, upon your family and upon the body of Christ. Please hear me right. This is important. The New Testament talks about a hundredfold more about these socially acceptable sins than the moral sins. 
Now, by now you're saying, no, what, what are you talking about? What are you talking about socially acceptable sins? The socially acceptable sins are the sins that affect our relationships. In the home, between husband and wife, children and family, friendship, fellowships of all kind in the body of Jesus Christ. Gossip and murmur, a critical spirit, an unforgiving heart, rebellion against God's principles in marriage and home. Husbands who are abdicating their spiritual responsibility in the home. Wives who are resenting their husband's spiritual leadership. Children who refuse to obey their parents. Socially acceptable sins. What about the body of Christ and the churches? Socially acceptable sins are jealousy, spiritual pride, Desire for self-promotion, spreading rumors, putting others down, rebelling against spiritual authority, divisiveness of all kind. Socially acceptable sins, we can call them ministering, we can call them counseling, we can call them prayer meeting and nothing but a gossip session. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Husbands, wives, believers in Jesus Christ, please listen. Jesus said, as he prayed in John chapter 17, and he said that the oneness of the believer is the greatest indication for the love of God. That the oneness of the believer is what's going to bring the sinners, the men and women who do not know Jesus Christ, to come and know him. John chapter 17. If that is the case, and I believe it is because Jesus said it, do you think Satan is stupid? And he's not stupid. He would be stupid if he did not try to do everything possible to split that oneness. To split that unity. Whenever you and your wife or you and your husband have a a huge argument. And you go to bed without your forgiving one another. I want to tell you Satan has succeeded. He broke your oneness. Whenever two believers in Jesus Christ are in in disharmony with each other, Satan has succeeded. He broke that oneness. Think with me for a moment. If Satan came out through the enemies of the church, and he comes to a believing church, a thriving church, and the enemies come out, the enemies of the church come out and start fighting the church, you know what would happen? The discerning believers are all going to get together, they're going to get on their knees, and they're going to start praying, and God is going to give them victory. And they're going to defeat him. But he's too subtle for this. He's too subtle. He's too crafty for this. He knew that this holy and righteous man of God that I mentioned in the very early part of this message. He knew that this man is guarding against the temptation. He's guarding against the temptation of the flesh. And therefore he knew that was useless to try to persuade him. So he sneaked up on him through one of those socially acceptable sins. Envy, spiritual pride. He made him think, oh, I am the one who deserved to be the Bishop of Alexandria, not my brother, because I'm godlier than he is. Why? Because if Satan comes out in the open and fights you, he knows he's going to lose. So he doesn't. Satan knows that if he comes out in the open and fight a biblically sound, a biblically Christ-loving church is going to lose. So what do he do? He will do it another way. 
He will simply place people in the churches, people who have spiritual pride, people who are possessed with critical spirit, people who are seeking self-promotion, people who can't distinguish between spirits, people who can't distinguish between the angel of light and the fallen angel masquerading as an angel of light. And through them he begins to sow the seed of doubt. He begins to sow the seed of discontentment. He begins to sow the seed of division. Begins to sow the seed of party spirit. And before you know it, the church's leadership running around trying to put some fires out. And they lose their fire for God and for the gospel. I wish I could take you with me. Around the world and around this country. I can show you churches. One church after another that were fallen victims for lack of discernment towards Satan's emissaries who are masquerading as believers. And our prayer must be your prayer, my prayer, always God continue to give us the spirit of discernment so that our fire may never go out. Shall we pray? If the Holy Spirit of God has touched you with these words as he touched me, I want to urge you, please don't silence his voice. Please don't postpone it. Don't put it off. A division in your family, a division in your fellowship, a division in the home, a division in the church. Dig deep, you're going to find that its source is a spiritual pride. Dig it up, hand it over to God. Ask him to fill the void with the Spirit of God. Don't open yourself up to Satan's putting in a foothold, which we're going to see in the future. Don't let him come in and set up a fortress. Deal with it now, for Jesus' sake. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for these words that are your words. Father, I pray that your Spirit, who said that your word will not return to you void, will do its business in our hearts, not just today, Lord, in the coming days. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.